great organization that works with persecuted Christians around the world, Open Doors International. This past year reported that there are 360 million Christians around the world currently living under high levels of persecution. That equates to one in seven Christians around the world who experience persecution for their faith on a daily basis. Open Doors reports that last year, last year, 5,621 Christians were martyred for their faith, 2,110 churches were attacked, and 4,542 Christians were imprisoned for their faith around the world. If we think of this issue historically, it's been estimated that in the last hundred years, more Christians were persecuted for their faith, martyred for their faith, in fact, than in all previous centuries combined. It's incredible to think about. Jesus promised, as we saw last week, blessed are the peacemakers. But he didn't promise that those peacemakers would always know peace. Not in this life anyway. Rather, Jesus told his followers in John 16, in this world you will have trouble. And yes, friends, Jesus promised that trouble or persecution would be the reality for all who trust in him as Savior and Lord. This past spring, I had the opportunity to speak for Answers in Genesis at the Ark Encounter for their National Women's Conference. The conference theme this year was suffering, and I had the opportunity to meet one of my personal heroes of the faith, a woman named Gracia Burnham. You may remember Gracia's story. 20 years ago, her and her husband Martin were missionaries in the Philippines. They were kidnapped by the Islamic terrorist group uh, there in the Philippines and underwent an incredible ordeal. Mar uh, had a great opportunity to spend a couple days with Gracia, just a sweet, dear woman. I wanted to share a, a brief clip about their story with us as we think about the reality of persecution and what many Christians in the world go through today. So take a look at Gracia's story, if you would. We had signed on with New Tribes Mission to work in the Philippines. We loved our work there. Went to bed and before dawn the next morning, there was pounding on the door, bang, bang, bang. And even before Martin got to the door, these three guys with them, 16s, broke the door down. One of them took Martin right out. One of them came over to the bed, lowered his weapon and yelled, go, go, go. So I grabbed clothes and just fled with everybody else to a waiting speedboat down at the dock. And as we pulled away, from the dock, they yelled, Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar. And that's when we knew who had us. Everybody in the Philippines knows who the Abu Sayyaf are, militant Muslims, and they've declared jihad down there. And we knew we were in big trouble. We would mobile, we would hike up and down mountains, through rivers, just hike, 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 hike for days and nights on end, weeks, just totally exhausted. And I thought, you know, I'm just wishing my life away. Mm -hmm. um, just hoping to make it through one more day. And week 10, I just had this crisis of faith. If God loved me, I wouldn't be where I was. Martin very gently said to me one day, it's very sad to see you giving up your faith. 
seems to me either you believe it all or you don't believe it at all. Mm. You need to decide what you believe. And we started to go through the scriptures. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Um, when you go through the fire, I'll be with you. The promises of God, we just started hanging on to those and it changed my heart. And as I made some decisions about who God was in my life, my heart started to change. Martin would always tell me, Gracia, if and when you get out of here, your children are gonna need their mother back. They're not gonna need their mother without her mind. And they're not gonna need a bitter mother. You keep yourself together. That's what he would say to me. There was this gun battle, just, you know, no selective gunfire, I'm sorry to say. There never was. And um, I was immediately shot in the leg, and Martin just was shot as well and just lay there. The Abu Sayyaf retreated down the river, and the military came over the hill and drug me to the top of the hill. And I looked back at Martin, and he was white. And that's when I knew he was dead. And they called a helicopter, and it lifted me out of there, and the same God that kept me going for a year, I just knew, I knew he was gonna keep me going through life, and he has, he's faithful. <laughs> God's faithful, we've all heard it. I've just seen it in a different way. sweet woman. She's just one of millions of Jesus people throughout history who have experienced the Bible's promise of persecution for those who choose to follow Jesus Christ in faith. And today we're going to look at this promise as we come to the end of our journey through the Beatitudes. These blessed attitudes, these attitudes that believers will be, the, the Beatitudes as we've called them. We're going to see today that Jesus not only told his followers to expect persecution, but he also assured them of God's blessings when they face it. Let's have a word of prayer and ask God to bless us as we consider this incredible promise this morning. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for the privilege today of thinking of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world and throughout history who have experienced great persecution for their faith. Lord, we also, too, in various ways, face persecution for our faith. And so, Lord, we pray that as we look to your promises in your word, as we think about the example of those who have suffered and persevered in faith before us, Lord, uh, as we think about our brothers and sisters, uh, even those that we might know who are experiencing different levels of persecution for their faith, Lord, may we be encouraged by your great and precious promises. May we be encouraged by their examples. And may we seek to honor you and live for you in obedience, Lord, to show everybody in the world that there is a great and faithful God in heaven, even in spite of the persecution that we might face on your behalf. And so, Lord, bless our time now as we study your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, this morning we're wrapping up our time in the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, the opening of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be studying the Sermon on the Mount together throughout the remainder of the year, and these Beatitudes are an incredible opening to this sermon where Jesus describes for us what it looks like to be one of his people, Jesus' people. Let's take a look at these Beatitudes together again, and specifically today, verses 10 through 12. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Here in these last three verses of the Beatitudes, we find this incredible promise. The promise of persecution, but also the promise of God's blessing for all who experience persecution. I want us to consider three realities that we see here in this conclusion to the Beatitudes this morning. Three realities for those of us who are Jesus' people. And, and, and all of our brothers and sisters around the world, Jesus' people. What, what, what is the Lord communicating to us here in this closing of his Beatitudes? Well, the first thing that we see here in this passage is that Jesus' people are those who embrace the reality of persecution. Friends, as followers of Christ, we are people who embrace the reality of persecution. This is the the first thing we need to recognize here in this final beatitude. Our, Our Lord, Jesus, makes it clear that persecution is going to be the norm for his people. To live a life that reflects the character traits that we've studied in these Beatitudes. A life that's been transformed by the Holy Spirit's power at work in our hearts. This will inevitably lead to persecution. Remember friends, we've talked about John Christostom, the early church father. He described these Beatitudes as a sort of golden chain. And how every link in the chain of these Beatitudes is interconnected. And they all flow from one to the other. And they all hold together. And what that means, friends, is you cannot be pure in heart and you cannot hunger and thirst for righteousness and you cannot be merciful without also experiencing the reality of persecution. You don't get to pick and choose. Jesus' people are all of these things. And so we need to recognize that persecution is something that our Lord has promised us to expect if we're to follow him. What is persecution? Well, the the Greek word for persecution used here in the scriptures is dioko, and it means to pursue, or or more specifically, to pursue with malicious intent or repeated acts of enmity. 
Here in verses 10 through 12, Jesus gives us a number of specific illustrations. He, he speaks of reviling. He speaks of uttering evil. He speaks of speaking untruths or lies against God's people. But of course, we know that persecution can take many other forms as well. Being ostracized, overlooked, bullied, disparaged, abused, imprisoned, and even martyred, killed for our faith in Jesus Christ. These are all realities that God's people throughout history and around the world have experienced. Again, Jesus tells us here in verses 10 through 12 that as Christians, we shouldn't be surprised when persecution comes. In fact, notice verse 11, if you have your Bibles open. In verse 11, Jesus uses the word when, not if. This isn't an if kind of a thing. Jesus says this is a when kind of a thing. When others revile you. When others persecute you. When others speak all kinds of evil against you. Jesus says we should expect this in this fallen sinful world. And when we read the rest of the New Testament, we find that this is the consistent message of the apostles for God's people all throughout the New Testament. For example, the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All of us. Philippians 1.29, the Apostle Paul says this, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Persecution is a part of our faith. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 3, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction. Paul is clear, the New Testament is clear, Jesus is clear that suffering is a reality for God's people. One of the great heroes of the faith of the 20th century, we've talked about his story already this fall, Dietrich Bonhoeffer the great pastor theologian who was martyred by the Nazis in World War II. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a man who was no stranger to persecution. Dietrich says suffering then is the badge of true discipleship. In other words, friends, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you can expect to earn the badge of suffering, the badge of persecution for your faith, for following Jesus Christ. Every single one of us here who has chosen to follow Jesus can expect to face persecution for our faith. Understand this, friends. Suffering for Christ isn't reserved for the underground church in China or the Christian convert in Pakistan or the missionaries serving in a closed country. It is the norm for all Jesus people. And absolutely, it can look different based on our setting and our circumstances. But the Bible tells us that we can expect to face persecution. Now, the second thing that we see here in our passage this morning is that Jesus' people are those who embrace the reasons for persecution. Jesus tells us that we should expect persecution. Persecution is the norm. But then he explains for us the reasons why we will be persecuted as his people. And he lists two in our passage this morning. Here in verse 10, he says that the persecution of Jesus' people is rooted firstly in our righteousness. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What is righteousness, friends? Righteousness is simply conformity to God's will. Righteousness is when we walk in obedience with God's revelation. That's what it means to be righteous. It means to walk rightly in the eyes of God. And Jesus tells us very clearly here at the conclusion of our Beatitudes, when we choose to honor the Lord, when we choose to walk in obedience to the statutes that he's given us, his will for our lives, Jesus says you will be persecuted for righteousness' sake. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 15, verses 18 through 22. Jesus says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Why was Jesus persecuted, friends? Jesus was persecuted for righteousness' sake. Jesus was persecuted because he spoke the truth to creation about God's will for their lives and what God expected and desired of them in their obedience. And because of that, Jesus went to the cross. He was persecuted for righteousness' sake. And Jesus says that all who choose to honor him and walk in obedience to him, those who choose to follow him in righteousness themselves will also experience the same persecution because our righteousness, friends, exposes the sin of this world. When sinful people look at somebody who lives to honor God, it's a threat because our righteousness exposes the sin of this world. The righteousness of Jesus Christ exposed the sin of the world, and so they crucified him for it. And this is why Jesus says to his followers, if the world hates you, know that it hated me first. Jesus tells us you can expect to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. And we see how the righteousness of Jesus' people confronts the sin of worldly people all throughout these beatitudes that we've studied this fall. As you go through the list of the Beatitudes, we can see why worldly people would be threatened by those who choose to walk in conformity to God's will as outlined in the Beatitudes. You see, poverty of spirit stands in opposition to the pride-filled heart. Mourning our sins is counter to a world that celebrates them. Jesus calls us to meekness while the world calls this weakness. The Christian is one who hungers for righteousness while the world hungers for fleshly desires. The merciful are out of place in a world that harbors bitterness and settles scores. The sweet aroma of the pure in heart is in stark contrast to the stink of sinful people. And the bringers of shalom are disruptive to lives and nations engaged and entangled in conflict and strife. And so for all these reasons, we can see why those who choose to live in the way of Jesus will necessarily be viewed as a threat to those living in the way of this fallen and sinful world. 
And because this world is threatened by our righteousness, Jesus says they will lash out in persecution. We can expect to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. This is why, for example, the young man who seeks to reserve his virginity for marriage is maligned in the locker room. This is why the teenage girl who's concerned with the transgender student in her school's bathroom is labeled intolerant. This is why the college freshman who chooses not to attend the weekend frat parties is ridiculed by his friends. This is why the woman praying silently across the street from the abortion clinic is arrested. This is why the family members not celebrating their relative's gay marriage are ostracized. This is why the concerned mom is silenced at the school board meeting for exposing pornography in the school library. This is why the businessman faces intimidation at work for not joining the Pride Month celebrations. This is why the doctor fears losing his job for not displaying his preferred pronouns on his ID badge. And I could go on and on, citing examples of how God's people today are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Many of those examples I cited are from people in our own church who have experienced persecution for seeking to honor Jesus in obedience. Friends, Jesus says, blessed are you who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. We can expect to face persecution. But the second basis of our persecution that Jesus reveals here in this final beatitude, he says, we will be persecuted because of our recognition. Our recognition of what? Our recognition of the name of Jesus Christ. Recognizing him as Savior and Lord of all. You'll be persecuted for your recognition. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. On my account. On account of my name, Jesus says. Listen to what the Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter 4, that great letter written to the persecuted church. The Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 4, 14 through 16, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. The name of Jesus Christ. The label of being a Christian. Glorify God in that name. In fact, the very first Christians who were persecuted for their faith that we know of in Scripture, Peter and John preaching in the temple courts, arrested by the Jewish Sanhedrin, taken back by the Jewish Sanhedrin and beaten because of their testimony in Jesus Christ. And when they were released, listen to what Peter and John said in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 5. When they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for what? The name. The name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. Listen to what Jesus himself told us in Matthew chapter 10, verse 22. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. 
Friends, Jesus says we can expect to face persecution on his account, on account of the name of Jesus. And when we look throughout history and when we look around the world today, we see how the name of Christ is offensive to the unbelieving world. Why is the name of Christ so offensive to the unbelieving world? Well, let's just consider a few examples this morning. The name of Christ is offensive to the totalitarian regimes of our world today because Jesus will not bow to Caesar. For example, Jesus says in Mark 12, 17, Mark 12, 17, please, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Caesar persecutes the church because Jesus says there are some things that don't belong to Caesar. Caesar has been delegated limited authority in this world, but Caesar is not Lord of all. Jesus is Lord of all. And Caesar doesn't like that. See, Caesar wants total and complete control. And so because of this, the church is often persecuted. For example, in the 20th century, Nazi Germany brought Christianity under state control. They forced the true church, called the Confessing Church, underground. Thousands of Protestant and Catholic clergy were arrested and sent to concentration camps for supposedly being anti-German. That meant holding views and convictions contrary to the state. You look at the Soviet Union, tens of thousands of churches were closed. Millions of Christians were murdered and sent to the gulags. Christian parents had their parental rights revoked and their kids taken by the state for re-education. Christians were routinely sent to mental hospitals for holding beliefs contrary to the state. You look at communist China. Many historians have noted that Christians in China have undergone the most widespread and severe persecution of any Christians in all of history. Millions of Christians were killed by Mao Zedong in the Cultural Revolution of the 1960s and 70s by Mao's Red Guards. Bibles were burned, churches were looted, Christians were tortured and executed. To this very day, persecution is still extreme and severe throughout the nation of China. We could speak of other totalitarian regimes like communist Cuba or North Korea where Christians are routinely persecuted because Caesar cannot tolerate anyone else declaring themselves Lord over all. Why is the name of Christ so offensive to the world? Well, the name of Christ is not only offensive to the totalitarians of our world, but the name of Christ is offensive to the religious in our world. Because Jesus threatens and upsets their man-made systems of morality. Man-made systems that declare we are saved through our works, through our righteous deeds, through our actions. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 3, Blessed are the pure in heart, or the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's the poverty of spirit that leads to salvation. It's our recognition that we can never do enough good works to earn God's favor that leads to our salvation. It's our recognition that we are totally dependent on God's amazing grace. But you see, Jesus is a threat to the religious system for this very reason. See, the religious systems of the world say that we are saved by our deeds, by our good works, by our actions, by our rituals. This was the case in Jesus' day 
when Jesus was persecuted by the Pharisees, and it's the case still to this day when man-made religious systems persecute followers of Jesus because of our confidence in his amazing grace. I'll never forget a few years ago speaking to a, a member of the Mormon church. He was a Mormon elder. I was sharing the gospel with him. And in our conversation, I was sharing about the hope that we have because of the cross of Jesus Christ and Jesus' amazing grace. I asked this Mormon elder, I said, Sir, where's the cross on your church? Where's the cross on the Mormon temple? Friends, have you ever noticed that? There's no cross anywhere in the Mormon church. They don't have a cross on their church, no cross on their temple. I said, Sir, where's the cross? This Mormon elder, he responded, he said, The cross is foolishness. The cross is foolishness. Because the Mormons are told that they have to earn their salvation to progress to become gods themselves. It's interesting the words that he used, the cross is foolishness, because the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 1.18 says that the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it is the very power of God. The name of Christ is not only offensive to the totalitarians and the religious, but the name of Christ is offensive to our post-Christian culture today. Because Jesus refuses to be just one option among many. Our post-Christian culture today says that truth is relative and all truths are equally valid and relevant and all religions are basically the same. And, and truth is really like ice cream. You kind of just pick and choose your own personal flavor, your own personal preference. But Jesus says, no, that's not how truth works. Truth isn't an ice cream kind of a thing. Truth is an insulin kind of a thing. Truth is like when you're diagnosed with a disease like diabetes and your doctor tells you you're going to need insulin to manage your disease. Friends, when your doctor gives you that diagnosis, you no longer get to pick and choose what you prefer. Well, doctor, you know, maybe I could just use some of that pink bubblegum cough syrup my mom used to give me. That was really good. Or maybe just some Advil. Maybe that'll help. No, no, no. See, truth is not an ice cream kind of a thing that you pick and choose. Truth is an insulin kind of a thing. And Jesus said that he was the cure to the sickness that ails us. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And so the name of Jesus is a threat not only to the totalitarians and to the religious and to our post-Christian culture today, but sadly, the name of Christ can even be offensive to members of our own family because Jesus demands to be our first love. In Matthew 10, 34 to 39, Jesus told his followers some of the hardest words in all the Gospels. Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Friends, are you willing to count the cost to follow Jesus Christ? Jesus says it might cost you everything. It might even cost you your family relationships. 
It's no wonder Bonhoeffer, who I quoted earlier, said, when Jesus bids a man to come, he bids him come to die. To die to your life. Maybe physically. But certainly to die to your own preferences and priorities. To die to your bank account. To die to your relationships. To die to your career. When Jesus calls men and women to faith in him, he bids you come and die. But in that death, he promises us great life. And this leads me to point number three this morning, the rejoicing in persecution that is embraced by all who are Jesus' people. Here's where we find this great promise. Verse 12, Jesus tells us, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This phrase in the Greek, rejoice and be glad, it's an interesting phrase because in the Greek it literally refers to an excessive ecstatic joy. In other words, Jesus is saying here, when you are experiencing persecution, jump up and down with joy. Wow. Friends, how can we rejoice in a faith that guarantees persecution? How can we rejoice when we experience persecution ourselves? Jesus tells us here in this last of the Beatitudes that we rejoice for two reasons. You can rejoice, number one, because your faith is triumphant. And you can rejoice, number two, because your faith is time-tested. We have a triumphant faith, friends. Listen to what the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 7. The Apostle Peter here Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found a result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Friends, this is the triumphant faith that is the, the reality for all who trust in Jesus and are willing to suffer persecution for the sake of his name. Jesus promises that we have an inheritance in heaven, being kept for us, an inheritance that's imperishable and undefiled and unfading, greater than anything that we would give up in this world for the sake of following Christ. I'll never forget years ago when I was down in Cuba teaching Cuban pastors, preaching throughout the nation of Cuba. My translator was a Cuban, Cuban Christian named David. David had been an English professor at the University of Havana. When he became a follower of Jesus, he started holding Bible studies with students there at the University of Havana. When the communist authorities found out about it, they came to David and they said to David, David, if you don't stop teaching the Bible to your students, you're going to lose your job. And David said, I can't stop teaching about Jesus. And so he lost his job at the university. When David continued to meet with his students, the communist officials came to David and said, David, if you don't stop teaching and preaching about Jesus, we're going to take your home away and we're going to leave your family destitute, 
homeless on the streets. We're going to take everything. And David said, I cannot stop teaching about Jesus. And so the communists took his home and they took all of his possessions, they took all of his money, they took everything. And he and his family were left homeless and destitute. And the communists took it all. And if you ask David today, was it worth it? David would say absolutely because he knows that he has an inheritance waiting for him in heaven that far surpasses anything in this world. That's the triumphant faith that is ours in Jesus Christ. It's not only a triumphant faith, but Jesus tells us it's a time-tested faith. At the end of verse 12, Jesus says, not only is our reward great in heaven, but then he says, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Friends, we stand on the shoulders of giants, men and women of great faith who have gone before us who were willing to count the cost for following Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 11 is that great hall of fame of faith. We're actually going to spend this summer going through Hebrews chapter 11 together, but I want to read for you a portion of it this morning. Hebrews 11, starting in verse 32. This hall of fame of faith. The author of Hebrews says, What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitutes, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. God says the world was not worthy of these great saints who were willing to count the cost and give it all for Jesus Christ. And this is why Hebrews 11 flows right into Hebrews chapter 12, where Hebrews 12, Hebrews 12 gives us this encouragement. Therefore, friends, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Friends, that's our encouragement as followers of Jesus. Jesus says, great is your reward in heaven. And Jesus says, when they persecute, you know that they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We have a time-tested faith, and we have a great cloud of witnesses that are cheering us on as we live and walk in obedience to our Savior. And friends, no matter what the cost is for following Jesus Christ in this world, it is always worth it because Jesus is greater and great is our reward in heaven. Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for this promise, even though it's a, it's a challenging and difficult promise. 
But Lord, we thank you that you have made it clear to us that we can expect to face persecution in this world when we live for you and when we honor the name of Jesus. And so, Lord, help us to live not surprised when we face persecution. Help us to live not in fear of persecution, but, Lord, help us to live boldly and faithfully devoted to you, unashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. And, Lord, today we think of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who face far greater persecution than we do here in America. We think of those brothers and sisters in Christ in places like Cuba and North Korea and China and Iran and Iraq and Saudi Arabia, Lord, and all these countries around the world where we're choosing to go to church on Sunday is truly choosing to lay your life on the line for the sake of Jesus. God, may we pray for these dear saints on a regular basis and may you encourage them, Lord. May you, may you bless them and honor them, Lord, for their faithfulness. May you protect them, Lord, as they seek to serve you and honor you in righteousness. And Lord, we pray that the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ would, would grow and spread and that even in the faithfulness of those who are greatly persecuted, that our persecutors might see the hope that we have and turn to you, the Lord of lords and King of kings, for their salvation. Lord, I pray that you would help each of my brothers and sisters in Christ here this week as we go out into this world, as we go to our schools and our workplaces, sometimes even into our families, into hostile situations where our faith is maligned and misunderstood and sometimes ridiculed. Lord, give us strength, give us courage, give us conviction and perseverance. And may we faithfully bear testimony to the promise of God that Blessed are the persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And Lord, may we rejoice when others revile us. And may we stand on the shoulders of those great giants of the faith who have gone before us. And may their example and testimony give us encouragement this week and in the coming days that we might live to honor you. Jesus, we thank you and we praise your name. Amen. Friends, would you please rise for our benediction this morning? From Jude, verses 1 and 2. To those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. God bless you, friends. Have a great week. Hey, friends, thanks for joining us online today. If you have further questions, are in need of prayer, or would like to give financially to the ministries of Lakes Free Church, I encourage you to visit our website, lakesfree.org. There you'll also find information regarding our upcoming events. You can access all of our past sermon series, along with a host of other valuable resources. If you're in the area, we'd love to have you join us in person for one of our Sunday services or other events. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us, and may God bless you.